1: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to SPROT, Inc.'s 2021 Second Quarter Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, choose for star followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded today, August 6, 2021. Forward looking statements on behalf of the speakers that follow, listeners are cautioned that today's presentation and the responses to questions may contain forward looking statements within the meaning of the safe harbor provision of the Canadian provincial securities law. Forward looking statements involve risk and uncertainties, and undue reliance should not be placed on such statements certain material factors or assumptions are implied in making forward-looking statements, and actual results may differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements. For additional information about factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations and about material factors or assumptions applied in making forward-looking statements, please consult the MD&A for the court and Sprott's other filings with the Canadian and U.S. securities regulators. I will now turn the conference over to Mr. Peter Grosskoff. Please go ahead, Mr. Groskoff.
2: Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. On the call with me today is Whitney George, the president of Sprott, our chief financial officer, Kevin Hibbert, and John Schimpaglia, the CEO of Sprott Asset Management. Our 2021 second quarter results were released this morning and are available on our website, where you can also find our financial statements and MD&A. I'll start on slide four. Precious metals round-tripped in Q2 to end the quarter close to their lows before recovering in July. The gold price has been range-bound and moved sideways for some time as investors handicapped chances for rate rises. We are pleased by how our funds navigated through this choppiness and capitalized on the subsequent rebound. Our business continues to perform well with all of our business units currently growing and delivering strong financial results. In fact, as Kevin will tell you, we are knocking on the door of 20 billion and continue to record uh, and produce record operating results. In July, subsequent to quarter end, Sprott Asset Management completed its agreement with Uranium Participation Corp to create the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. John will discuss this transaction in detail in a few minutes But as a general comment, this deal provides us with an important strategic foothold in the clean energy metal space. We have a constructive view on uranium and believe this new trust presents a compelling opportunity to anchor a highly prospective new product area. We look forward to expanding our offerings into areas that complement our core positioning in precious metals. With that, I'll pass it over to Kevin for a look at our financial results
3: for the quarter. Thank you, Peter. And uh, good morning, everyone. I'll uh, start on slide five, uh, which provides a summary of our AUM as at June 30th, 2021. Uh, AUM was $18.6 billion this quarter, up $1.5 billion, or 9% from March 31st of this year. <clears throat> and up $1.2 billion, or 7% from December 31st, 2020. In the second quarter, we experienced market value appreciation across the majority of our fund products while continuing to generate strong inflows into our physical trusts. So this helped uh, to a large degree to offset the market value depreciation we experienced on a full year basis. And uh, slide six provides a brief look into our three and six month earnings. Uh, To Peter's point, we had a fantastic quarter. Uh, adjusted base EBITDA was $15.1 million, up $5.8 million, or 64% from the prior period. And on a year-to-date basis, adjusted base EBITDA was $29.7 million, up $12.3 million, or 71%. Uh, the increase in the quarter, as well as on a year-to-date basis, was primarily due to uh, increased fees uh, from strong net inflows in our exchange-listed product segment Higher average AUM in our managed equity segment, and increased commissions and management fee revenues in our brokerage segment. Uh, for more information on our revenues, expenses, and EBITDA, you can refer to the supplemental information section of this presentation, as well as our second quarter 2021 MDNA that we filed earlier this morning. So with that said, I'll pass things over to John.
4: Great. Thanks, Kevin, and uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, we had a very strong Q2 with uh, just over $600 million in net inflows, and I think that's quite impressive uh, in light of the fact that uh, metal, metal prices during the quarter were, were quite soft, and in particular silver hit a 7% uh, decline for the quarter. Um, our silver trust um, has really been the star this year. It's driven most of our sales, and for the quarter it accounted for just over 500. And just for some perspective, 2020 was all about our gold trust as uh, people were shifting portfolios into safe haven assets. This year has been more about reflation trade, commodities, and more industrial metals. Um, Just to give you some perspective over um, the last year, in the first half of 2020 versus the first half of 2021, our sales in the bullion trusts are up by approximately $200 million. So I think that's quite quite spectacular in light light of the the soft markets we've experienced. Um, Post Q2, uh, we have hit summer doldrums, I think, in just about every market. Uh, We've talked to a lot of participants, and uh, it seems the general consensus is people are taking summer holidays, and it reflects in the market activity. Uh, We did have positive sales of $36 for the month of July. I also want to provide some context around relative performance. We look at the US-listed gold ETFs, for example, and uh, they've, they've experienced net outflows year-to-date of $8 billion. Uh, in contrast, our gold trust has generated just over $200 million of net sales. And I think more interesting, uh, if you look at the US-listed silver ETFs, they've brought in about $2 billion year-to-date in net flows, and the Sprott Physical Silver Trust has accounted for 86% market share. So. This is a real reflection of the unique and superior fund attributes that the market has, has recognized in our trusts. On the gold mining equity uh, ETF side, it's been very quiet. We have generated about 25 million in net flows year to date, and, and uh, it seems quite small, but when you compare it to uh, the, the peer groups, um, what they have experienced about 1.2 billion in net outflows year to date. Moving to the next slide, I'll talk a little bit about the new Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. We're very excited about this new, new fund in our lineup. Um, on July 16th, we had overwhelming support from shareholders of Uranium Participation Corp to reorganize the fund. 99.92% shareholders voted in favor. The new trust began trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange July 19th. We bought our first 100,000 pounds of U308 on July 20th and we've subsequently bought another £100,000 and that was with the capital that's brought Inc. contributed into the trust. Uh, we are currently working to put an at-the-market program in place and um, it could be as early as next week so we're quite excited about having this mechanism to be able to raise new capital in the vehicle. The next phase of the program is to seek a US listing on the NYSE ARCA. And that process is expected to extend into 2022. I'll just give you some color on what we've experienced the last couple of months since we've uh, announced this transaction, and I think we've been quite overwhelmed by the response in the marketplace. Uh, we've had a really great feedback from from every type of investor. What we've noticed is that the the investment uh, category in uranium is is is, is uh, has a growing retail base, but But the early movers the last few years have been more on the institutional side, family office and hedge funds. Uh, They're very excited about the new trust structure, um, the enhanced transparency we're now providing with daily disclosure of holdings, and daily net asset value I think has been very welcomed in the marketplace. U.S. dollar trading option, U.S. dollar financial reporting, uh, and then the ATM and the pending NYSE listing have all been uh, getting rave reviews. Uh, we've had the opportunity to speak to many of these institutions, and I, th- and I think they're very uh, interested in putting new capital to work in the trust. So we're excited about its ability to start raising new capital and uh, contribute to our overall sales results. And with that, I will pass it over to Whitney.
5: Thank you, John. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm going to uh, speak to slide 10 um, about managed equities, Um, you know, as has been already mentioned, Mm -hmm. it's uh, been a choppy market, um, generally negative uh, so far this year uh, for equities reflecting the underlying precious metal pricing and uh, presumably consolidating some of the very large gains that we enjoyed last year. Uh, the team continues to function extraordinarily well. Um, it's, we have a large managed equity team, um, seven you know, participants um, and many other contributors. Um, our net sales um, are up modestly um, with the uh, redemptions uh, gradually slowing. You know we, we've uh, aniver- more than anniversary the, the uh, acquisition of the, the Tocqueville Gold Strategies and um, the client base, settled in, stabilized, um, and we are uh, generating some new interest and, and sales in our institutional um, SMA products, uh, particularly those tied to the special situation strategy. Uh, so we have some new institutional clients, uh, including a new one post uh, uh, the second quarter. Uh, so uh, we are well positioned uh, for when it's our turn on the managed equity side uh, to, to capture uh, market share. Uh, performance is, is very solid, you know, given the conditions, and um, we look forward to um, having our turn in the sunlight. And with that, I'd like to uh, turn it back to Peter.
2: Thanks, Whitney.
5: <laughs> Turning now to slide 11
2: for a look at our private strategies. The lending and streaming strategies continue to perform well, and the combined AUM for this segment is approximately $1 billion. Currently, we're focused on deploying the remaining capital in our second lending fund. We've recently secured some significant investments which should accelerate the pace of AUM growth in late 2021. Our streaming strategy has been active in both raising and deploying capital and is currently onboarding some well-respected LPs. And our Korean fund management business has also raised new commitments as contributed to both AUM and profit growth combined we have visibility that this will be a growing business throughout 2022. Turning just to to the brokerage slide on page 12, our investment dealers in the US and Canada are both tracking ahead of expectations. In Canada, the institutional dealer is benefiting from strong equity originations and syndications. The U.S. brokerage is continuing to make good progress on transitioning AUA to AUM and generating new fund sales. Both numbers are material to Sprott, with the AUM increase standing at about $500 million and the product sales effort becoming one of our number one sales channels. We are pleased with the progress from this group and both its uh, revenue and contribution margin have improved significantly over the past year. Moving now to slide 13 for some final comments. Sprott in general is on a tear and delivering sp- strong financial performance despite volatility in precious metals. Our sales and marketing efforts are delivering results as we focus on driving ca- scale and key strategies. Demand for our expertise is increasing and in response to heightened levels of client and investor engagement, we're adding to client facing teams and launching new feeder funds in some areas. The clean metals industry is growing quickly and we expect this to become an area of focus for Sprott. In closing, we believe that the outlook for precious metals is compelling, gold is coming back from a correction during which its sentiment indicators plummeted to cycle lows and it still remains generally unloved. It is gradually being added to generalist portfolios as a risk diversifier. And we believe mining equities are particularly attractive right now on fundamental and relative metrics. As usual, we remain active in reviewing bolt-on funds, global opportunities, and the consolidation of niche managers in our focus areas. That concludes our remarks for today's call, and I'll now turn it over to the operator for some Q&A.
1: Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound symbol. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. And our first question comes from Gary Ho with the Desjardins Capital. Your line is
0: open.
6: Thanks. And uh, good morning. Um, Maybe just first off, just wondering if you can provide a net flows and AUM update kind of post quarter, similar to the numbers you've given us in the past few quarters, Um, had it changed materially outside of the UPC um, acquisition. And I think John mentioned the uh, 36 million
4: in exchange listed inflows. Oh, hi, Gary. It's John. Um, I can comment on the exchange listed in the managed equities for the month of July. We were at, uh, plus $40 million, um, uh, which, you know, for the depths of summer, I think is pretty decent. So that's the number for July. So
6: that's the net the, the net inflows, or is that the, the AUM change?
4: That's the net, in, um, that's the net uh, inflows for all of our public funds for the month of July. Um, the AUM number I don't have in front of me um, would have to come back to you on that. I, I'd, I'd say, Gary,
3: it, it's Kevin here. Gary, I'd say it's it's fine if you take what John just gave you and just as a, a proxy, just add the 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 UPC portion uh, that we disclosed this morning.
6: Okay, great. And then, uh, John, you know, just on the UPC transaction at closing, um, it was US six hundred and thirty million. That was a bit higher than I think when you first announced the transaction, was it not? And kind of what drove that change, and can you elaborate on? The net flows outlook, and uh, I think you mentioned kind of there's there's increased interest from from clients you've, you've marketed to.
4: Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, that that's that's absolutely correct. The the number <clears throat> is higher, and that was really a function of uh, market appreciation. Uh, there was a flurry of uh, buying activity of physical uranium by uh, not just the uh, the two holding companies in the marketplace, but also by a number of the junior. Uh, mining companies um, or, uh, earlier in the year that uh, did put some upward pressure on the price of uranium by a few dollars. And uh, secondly, um, UPC, prior to the transaction, did a, a capital raise, which uh, uh, added about $70 million if my memory uh, serves me well. So those two factors uh, gave us that lift. So uh, it was nice to uh, uh, inherit the fund with a little bit more bulk to it. And, and does that change the price paid or how um uh no it it uh it did not have a material impact on the price we paid we largely put a pin in those um, metrics um so I think it was uh you know net positive for us in terms of taking over the fund uh and and paying a very small difference in fee and I don't have that exact number but uh it was uh it was, I think, a couple hundred thousand dollars was the difference in the termination fee to Denison.
6: Okay. And and any comments on the uh, net flows outlook? Um, you did comment on increasing. Yes. Yeah,
7: sure.
4: Yeah. So we've had um, two months now to talk to different uh, participants, whether they're dedicated energy or uranium type uh, funds, and um, the market's super excited about our entrance. Um, I think they see the value of having a dedicated asset manager take the helm of the fund. Uh, they see the value in the investment fund structure over the, uh, the prior holding company structure. Uh, and you may recall that back in 2018, we, we had a similar uh, transaction with the Central Fund of Canada, which is one of these legacy holding company structures that we reorganized and modernized, and uh, we're able to make a lot of improvements, um, shareholder-friendly improvements. So uh, from the investors we've spoken to, there seems to be lots of pockets of capital on the sideline waiting to uh, invest in the trust. They're waiting for the ATM to to get operational. Um, So we're we're quite encouraged because... um, uh, a lot of these institutions, you know, they, they generally like to stay quiet in the background, um, but a lot of them have been reaching out to us and having very uh, very interesting conversations about uh, their thoughts and opinions on the uranium market. They, uh, they definitely view the trust as a, a, as a vehicle to potentially provide more price discovery in the uranium market and to provide more activity in the spot market, which the, the marketplace seems to be clamoring for.
6: Uh, th- thanks for that. And then related, uh, Kevin, any one-time transaction or integration costs to call out uh, regarding the acquisition we should be aware of for Q3?
3: Sorry, you, you you cut out on my end at the first part. Can you start over, Gary?
6: Yeah, no, I'm just wondering, uh, with that transaction, any one-time transaction or integration costs to call out um, that we should be aware of for
3: Q3? uh for q3 not, there, there shouldn't be anything significant this was a pretty uh small and straightforward tuck in so the numbers you saw in the uh in the mdna just trying to see where that uh uh yes in the uh outlook section of the mdna that's pretty much the the all in uh acquisition costs and I, I don't think there'll be anything else of, of consequence materially going forward
6: And then just last question for me, uh, Peter, you mentioned you're reviewing add-on opportunities um, and consolidating kind of the niche players in in your focus areas. Can you provide a bit more color, size, geographies, uh, perhaps kind of new products uh, within the exchange list side?
2: Well... um, you know all our key areas, so um, they've now expanded a bit to other strategic minerals. Um, that gives us a bit more scope that way. And I'd say we've been you know, working on distribution and fund management deals for some time in places as diverse as Europe and Australia. So that gives you an idea of the global scope. And in terms of size, they range. You know, some of them might be as small as two or three hundred million. And um, we have got a few uh, transformational targets in mind, but um, you know, those are very, very hard to, to land in our our business. So I don't want to, you know, give you give you an idea that we, you know, we have high odds on those. And two to three hundred million—that's in terms of AUM. A- yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of on the small end. It's hard to make, you know, a significant, unless we're starting a fund from scratch, it's hard to make a significant contribution on anything much below that level.
1: Got it.
2: Okay, that's it for me. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Graham Riding with TD Securities. Your line is open.
7: Hi, uh, good morning. <clears throat> You, uh, you made reference to the uh, uranium participation deal, giving you a start in the clean energy uh, metals area. Is there anything you can speak to at this point in terms of uh, further initiatives or, or um, you know, metals that you're looking at?
4: Yeah, sure. Hi, Graham. It's, it's uh, John here. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think there is a, a growing, you know, kind of tailwinds building here in the system. Uh, when we think about uranium, um, I think many people, and nuclear, I think for a lot of people there's a negative st- stigma related to that, related to uh, prior accidents. Um, but I think the, the, the narrative is, is shifting, and you're seeing it shift in, at the major uh, government policy level. And, and, the, and this is all being driven by all of the decarbonization goals that are happening. Um, around the world, and the growing realization that the only way they're going to be able to hit them is to keep nuclear as part of the mix. Uh, Yes, there will be continued support and subsidization for uh, renewables, but nuclear, um, if you look at just the the recent Biden announcements around the infrastructure bill, uh, nuclear was included in that. If you look at the EU uh, in terms of its energy taxonomy, nuclear was added to that in terms of being uh, an acceptable and safe form of energy. Um, so, yes, there are some countries trying to decommission their, their nuclear fleet, like Germany, but I think if you look at their cost of electricity and you look at their CO2 levels, uh, they are materially higher than, say, their neighbour next door, France, which generates 70% from nuclear. So uh, we think that narrative is changing, and, and this is why the energy, uh, the, the uranium sector is... is uh, seeing renewed interest after a very long, protracted bear market. Um, yesterday's announcement by the Biden administration around uh, targets for electric vehicles, um, you know, on top of all of the targets being set by the EU, um, I think it is the path we're going to, 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 to get to in terms of electrification of cars away from uh, internal combustion engines. Uh, all of that requires massive retooling, different supply chains, different minerals, um, and yes, there are a plethora of battery chemistries out there, uh, but lithium, cobalt, class 1 nickel, manganese, graphite, all of these things um, are key uh, components in that, in that supply chain, and uh, we're very interested in those. We've been looking at them on and off the last few years. There's, they tend to be, in some cases, smaller markets and uh, less liquid markets, so we have to kind of wade through them carefully in terms of trying to figure out how best to to package them into investment fund structures. Uh, But we're very keen on um, this decarbonization, low-carbon, electrification, electric vehicle theme, uh, and we're trying to figure out how best to to bring that to the investment uh, world.
7: Okay, great. <clears throat> That's helpful. Um, with, the, with the new fund, the uranium uh, fund, is it going to be similar in structure to your other physical trusts or you know, you know, how should we think about potential inflows and outflows? Um, same dynamic or, or is there something unique here?
4: Yeah, largely the same. They're closed-end funds. Um, there's two key differences. One, we're only listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange right now. Um, unlike the other trusts which are duly listed, and I think more more importantly, um, the one key difference in product structure is there's no redemption feature, either physical or cash form in the Uranium Trust. Uh, Obviously, we just can't deliver a a drum of uh, u a to somebody, so um, there is no redemption feature uh, right now. So money coming in uh, will help us build scale in the fund, liquidity. And uh, allow larger institutions to participate in the category, which I think have been limited um, due to the due to the small, you know the smaller options on a relative basis that they've had to invest in relative to other commodities.
7: Okay, great. what's the management fee of the new fund?
4: Uh, thirty five basis points.
7: Okay. And then my last question would just be um, you know, pretty strong 45 percent base EBITDA margins uh, this quarter that was my calculation it looks like your compensation was lower and that's what was sort of the main thing driving the margins you know is this is there anything um unique to the quarter or you know is 45 percent margin plus potential for expansion from here how we should be thinking about things or is this is this a particularly strong margin quarter
3: Hey, hey, Graham. It's Kevin here. I'll I'll tackle that one. Um, so I I can't speak to the margin percentage because it's based on how you guys model our our margin numbers. A little uh, different um, from that, but um, generally speaking, I think you're 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 pretty safe in terms of the compensation number. I think our accruals are are pretty much up to date. Um, on the corporate side, uh, what you'll probably see is the quarterly number coming down a little bit. Um, but then there may be some slight offsets coming through uh, compensation on some of our fee-based businesses. So net-net, the way we like to look at it is based on the compensation ratio, which we disclose in the MD&A uh, under the compensation section. And that's about 39% right now. I think we'll probably stay somewhere between 39 and 40% uh, as we make our way through the back half of the year. So, um, strong quarter. Um, I I think it's reasonable to expect much of the same in the back half of the year, but there, there was nothing unique to this quarter that kind of suppressed the, uh, the, the, the comp number per se.
7: Okay. Understood. And if I could, uh, just get in one more, you know, in terms of your flows, silver, your silver trust is certainly doing the heavy lifting. Um, you know, why do you think demand for silver is is so strong this year? But gold, on a relative basis, is proving to be a bit more volatile. Is it the industrial theme behind silver, or is it more more than that?
4: Oh hi, yeah, it's Graham. Um, you know, I think silver got a lift earlier in the year uh, with most other industrial commodities, given it's a hybrid. Not also uh, that was thing one. It, it definitely benefited from that reflation trade. Uh, I think there's also a, a secondary benefit from uh, its high use in solar and the push to renewables and, and thing, all things low carbon. Um, and then finally, and I think most importantly, um, I, we, will, we will chalk it up to the growing influence of show, social media um, in terms of the collective buying power of um, uh, different groups on, on Reddit and Twitter. Uh, that went kind of on a buying spree um, starting at the end of January in all things silver. Um, Our product was really the the primary beneficiary of that uh, globally as the market recognized our fund is 100% backed by physical silver, no unallocated metal, and um, that uniqueness of the product was a, a primary driver of, of, of the flows into our trust versus some competitor products.
7: Great. That's it for me. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
6: Hi, good morning. Uh, just had one question. Um, on the managed equity side, uh, it seems like it's been a kind of an ongoing theme of despite um, gold generally being strong for the past while, demand for gold equity funds, you know, hasn't matched that and kind of lagged it. You talked about the trend improving uh, in terms of the flows, but I'm just wondering, is there anything that you see that suggests that this is likely to accelerate or, or from everything you see right now, it's just more continue of of gradual improvement uh, over the next year, you know, say next year or so.
5: So um, I'll tackle that one. Um, What I can tell you is the fundamentals of gold um, mining companies have probably never been better um, in terms of uh, the margins they're delivering the free cash flow they're delivering um, the, the returning uh, capital or shareholders both dividends and buybacks um, is uh, unlike anything I've seen out of that sector and of course I'm not a generalist and follow a lot of sectors so um, the fundamental factors are very very strong you know even in a flat kind of gold environment right now um, There are obviously going to be cost pressures uh, that we're going to, you know, need to deal with like any other business um, in in the next couple of years. Um, But uh, fundamentally, um, the the entire sector is very, very attractive. Um, I do think, you know, the the prior decades volatility has, you know, know, got scared some people away. But I think um, most companies certainly that we own are being uh, very well managed uh, responsibly managed um, right now. Um, you know, there's probably a little bit of social pressure um, in that the mining industry is, you know, not thought of as being a um, kind of an ESG kind of investment, um, but actually has been forced over the decades to be very sensitive to those kinds of issues way in advance of it becoming a popular concept. So I, I just think it's a matter of time. And, you know, the map, you know, is working in our favor. Um, the, you know, the interest in precious metals, you know, last year was you know, more of a fixed income alternative, um, not an equity allocation. But we continue to believe um, that particularly the quantitative models that, you know, look for things like earnings surprises, earnings revisions, you know, and things like that are going to uh, discover um, this sector. Um, Right now, obviously, uh, it's a pretty sleepy time in all markets. Um, but, you know, all of the leading indicators uh, for a category doing well are well in place. It's, you know, just a matter of no one really knows these days, you know, what turns the switch on. Okay,
6: great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I'm not showing any further questions at this time. I would now like to turn the call back over to Peter Grosskopf for closing remarks.
2: Well, thank you everybody for uh, participating in this call. We appreciate your interest in Sprott and we look forward to speaking with you again after our Q3 results. Have a good weekend.
1: This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.